Chapter thirty two of the Men in the Iron Mask by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Who Monsieur Jean Passerin was. The king's tailor, Monsieur Jean Passerin, occupied a rather large house in the Rue Saint Honore, near the Rue de l'Arbre Sec. He was a man of great taste in elegant stuffs, embroideries, and velvets, being hereditary tailor to the king. The preferment of his house reached as far back as the time of Charles IX, from whose reign dated, as we know, fancy and bravery, difficult enough to gratify. The Persarhan of that period was a Huguenot, like Ambrose Perre, and had been spared by the Queen of Navarre, the beautiful Margot, as they used to write and say too in those days, because, in sooth, he was the only one who could make for her those wonderful riding habits which she so loved to wear, seeing that they were marvellously well suited to hide certain anatomical defects which the queen of navarre used to very studiously conceal Passerin being saved made out of gratitude some beautiful black bodices very expensively indeed for queen catherine who ended by being pleased at the preservation of a huguenot people on whom she had long looked with detestation but Passerin was a very prudent man and having heard it said that there was no more dangerous sign for a protestant than to be smiled upon by catherine and having observed that her smiles are more frequent than usual he speedily turned catholic with all his family and having thus become irreproachable attained the lofty position of master tailor to the crown of france under henry the third gay king as he was this position was as grand as the height of one of the loftiest peaks of the cordilleras now Passerin had been a clever man all his life, and by way of keeping up his reputation beyond the grave, took very good care not to make a bad death of it, and so contrived to die very skilfully, in that, at the very moment he felt his powers of invention declining. He left a son and a daughter, both worthy of the name they were called upon to bear, the son, a cutter as unerring and exact as the square rule, the daughter, apt at embroidery and at designing ornaments the marriage of henry the fourth and marie de medici and the exquisite court mourning for the aforementioned queen together with the few words let fall by monsieur de bassompierre king of the beau of the period made the fortune of the second generation of passerins monsieur concino concini and his wife galagai who subsequently shone at the french court sought to italianize the fashion and introduced some florentine tailors but Passerin, touched to the quick in his patriotism and his self-esteem entirely defeated these foreigners and that so well that concino was the first to give up his compatriots and held the french tailor in such esteem that he would never employ any other and thus wore a doublet of his on the very day that vitry blew out his brains with a pistol at the pont de louvre and so it was a doublet issuing from monsieur Passerin's workshop which the parisians rejoiced in hacking into so many pieces with the living human body it contained notwithstanding the favor concino concini had showed Passerin, the king louis the thirteenth had the generosity to bear no malice to his tailor and to retain him in his service at the time that louis the just afforded this great example of equity Passerin had brought up two sons one of whom made his debut at the marriage of anne of austria invented that admirable spanish costume in which richelieu danced a saraband made the costume for the tragedy of miram 
and stitched onto buckingham's mantle those famous pearls which were destined to be scattered about the pavements of the louvre a man becomes easily notable who has made the dresses of a duke of buckingham and monsieur de cinq a mademoiselle Nion, and a monsieur de beaufort and a marion de lorme and thus passarin the third had attained the summit of his glory when his father died this same passarin third old famous and wealthy yet further dressed louis the fourteenth and having no son which was a great cause of sorrow to him seeing that with himself his dynasty would end he had brought up several hopeful pupils he possessed a carriage a country house men's servants the tallest in paris and by special authority of louis the fourteenth a pack of hounds he worked for messieurs de lyon and letellier under a sort of patronage but politic man as he was and versed in state secrets he never succeeded in fitting monsieur colbert this is beyond explanation it is a matter for guessing or for intuition great geniuses of every kind live on unseen intangible ideas they act without themselves knowing why the great passerin for contrary to the rule of dynasties it was above all the last of the passerins who deserved the name of great the great passerin was inspired when he cut a robe for the queen or a coat for the king he could mount a mantle for monsieur the clock of a stocking for madame but in spite of his supreme talent he could never hit off anything approaching a credible fit for monsieur colbert that man he used often to say is beyond my art my needle can never dot him down we need scarcely say that Passerin was Monsieur Fouquet's tailor, and that the superintendent highly esteemed him. Monsieur Passerin was nearly eighty years old, nevertheless still fresh, and at the same time so dry, the courtiers used to say that he was positively brittle. His renown and his fortune were great enough for Monsieur Le Prince, that king of fops, to take his arm when talking over the fashions, and for those least eager to pay, never to dare to leave their accounts in arrear with him for master passerin would for the first time make clothes upon credit but the second never unless paid for the former order it is easy to see at once that a tailor of such renown instead of running after customers made difficulties about obliging any fresh ones and so passerin declined to fit bourgeois or those who had but recently obtained patents of nobility a story used to circulate that even monsieur de mazarin in exchange for Passerin supplying him with a full suit of ceremonial vestments as cardinal, one fine day slipped letters of nobility into his pocket. It was to the house of this grand llama of tailors that D'Artagnan took the despairing Porthos, who, as they were going along, said to his friend, "'Take care, my good D'Artagnan, not to compromise the dignity of a man such as I am with the arrogance of this Passerin.' who will i expect be very impertinent for i give you notice my friend that if he is wanting in respect i will infallibly chastise him presented by me replied d'artagnan you have nothing to fear even though you were what you are not ah uh, tis because what have you anything against percerin porthos i think that i once sent mouston to a fellow of that name and then the fellow refused to supply me oh a uh, misunderstanding no doubt 
which it will be now exceedingly easy to set right. Mouston must have made a mistake. Perhaps. He has confused the names. Possibly. That rascal Mouston never can remember names. I will take it all upon myself. Very good. Stop the carriage, Porthos. Here we are. Here? How here? We are at the Halle, and you told me the house was at the corner of the Rue de l'Arbre Sec. Tis true, but look. Well, I do look, and I see. What? Pardieu, that we are at the Halle. You do not, I suppose, want our horses to clamber up on the roof of the carriage in front of us? No. Nor the carriage in front of us to mount on top of the one in front of it? Nor that the second should be driven over the roofs of the thirty or forty others which have arrived before us? No. You are right indeed. What a number of people! And what are they all about? Tis very simple. They are waiting their turn. Bah! Have the comedians of the Hotel de Bourgogne shifted their quarters? No, they're turned to obtain an entrance to Monsieur Pesserin's house. And we are going to wait, too? Oh, we shall show ourselves prompter and not so proud. What are we to do, then? Get down, pass through the footmen and lackeys, and enter the tailor's house, which I will answer for our doing if you go first. Come along, then, said Porthos. They accordingly alighted and made their way on foot toward the establishment. The cause of the confusion was that Monsieur Passerin's doors were closed, while a servant standing before them was explaining to the illustrious customers of the illustrious tailor that just then Monsieur Passerin could not receive anybody. It was bruited about outside. Still, on the authority of what the great lackey had told some great noble whom he favored, in confidence, that Monsieur Passerin was engaged on five costumes for the king, and that, owing to the urgency of the case, he was meditating in his office on the ornaments, colors, and cut of these five suits. Some, contented with this reason, went away again, contented to repeat the tale to others, but others, more tenacious, insisted on having the doors opened, and among these last three blue ribbons intended to take parts in a ballet which would inevitably fail unless the said three had their costumes shaped by the very hand of the great Passerin himself. D'Artagnan, pushing on Porthos, who scattered the groups of people right and left, succeeded in gaining the counter, behind which the journeymen tailors were doing their best to answer queries. We forgot to mention that at the door they wanted to put off Porthos like the rest, but D'Artagnan, showing himself, pronounced merely these words, "'The King's Order,' and was let in with his friend." The poor fellows had enough to do and did their best to reply to the demands of the customers in the absence of their master, leaving off drawing a stitch to knit a sentence. And when wounded pride or disappointed expectation brought down upon them too cutting a rebuke, he who was attacked made a dive and disappeared under the counter. The line of discontented lords formed a truly remarkable picture. Our captain of musketeers, a man of sure and rapid observation took it all in at a glance, and having run over the groups, his eye rested on a man in front of him. 
This man, seated upon a stool, scarcely showed his head above the counter that sheltered him. He was about forty years of age, with a melancholy aspect, pale face and soft luminous eyes. He was looking at D'Artagnan and the rest, with his chin resting upon his hand like a calm and inquiring amateur. Only on perceiving, and doubtless recognizing our captain, he pulled his hat down over his eyes. It was this action, perhaps, that attracted D'Artagnan's attention. If so, the gentleman who had pulled down his hat produced an effect entirely different from what he had desired. In other respects, his costume was plain, and his hair evenly cut enough for customers, who were not close observers, to take him for a mere tailor's apprentice, perched behind the board and carefully stitching cloth or velvet. Nevertheless, this man held up his head too often to be very productively employed with his fingers. D'Artagnan was not deceived, not he, and he saw at once that if this man was working at anything, it certainly was not at velvet. Eh, said he, addressing this man, and so you have become a tailor's boy, Monsieur Moliere. Hush, Monsieur D'Artagnan, replied the man softly. You will make them recognize me. Well, and what harm? The fact is, there is no harm, but— you were going to say there is no good in doing it either, is it not so? Alas, no, for I was occupied in examining some excellent figures. Go on, go on, Monsieur Moliere. I quite understand the interest you take in the plates. I will not disturb your studies. Thank you. But on one condition, that you tell me where Monsieur Perserin really is. Oh, willingly in his own room only only that one can't enter it unapproachable for everybody everybody he brought me here so that i might be at my ease to make my observations and then he went away well my dear monsieur moliere but you will go and tell him i am here i exclaimed moliere in the tone of a courageous dog from which you snatch the bone it has legitimately gained i disturb myself ah monsieur d'artagnan how hard you are upon me if you don't go directly and tell monsieur Perserin that i am here my dear moliere said d'artagnan in a low tone i warn you of one thing that i won't exhibit to you the friend i have brought with me Moliere indicated Porthos by an imperceptible gesture. "'This gentleman, is it not?' "'Yes.' Moliere fixed upon Porthos one of those looks which penetrate the minds and hearts of men. The subject doubtless appeared a very promising one, for he immediately rose and led the way into the adjoining chamber. End of chapter 32 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia